thank God he changes us, right? It was a beautiful song, Jenny. Thank you. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, uh, this beautiful day. We thank you that we can come together and study your word. We pray that this will be a blessing to everyone as it, as it blessed me as I was working on it. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. I've been working on this for a while, you know, and it happens all the time. So when Rick got up and he started talking about how the Lord is always with us and gave a great message, and this is similar, so I think it'll complement his, uh, his message today. <clears throat> a while back, Jeff sent out the invitations to go on the bike ride. And I hadn't been doing that sport very much. Uh, I was second more to tennis and then walking after I got hurt. And I thought about it. And the last time, I, I only did that once. I was with Mike Hyde in the safety car with, it was in 2007. So that's 15 years ago and about 25 pounds ago. <laughs> so that day there was a rider who said, you know, I, I can't do this. So I got out of the safety car and I rode his bike and did it. So I go, Lord, I want to see if I can do this again. Just see, by the grace of God, if I can finish that. So I, I signed up and I said, Jeff, and my, Gilbert's involved. I said, I'll, I'll give it a try again. <clears throat> so we met here at the church and Mike Hyde prayed as we always prayed and to bless the day for safety. And he was with Alexander and uh, Sung, I believe, in the safety car. So we all drove over there. And it's a 19-mile ride, and it's really hilly. And we started at Chrissy Field, if you know where that is, in San Francisco. We rode about a mile, and then we were right under the Golden Gate Bridge, which was way up there. So we started up the hill, and this was the steepest part of the, uh, the ride, is getting up to that toll plaza, very steep trail. And of course, I was instantly tired, and, but I wasn't about to stop, so I got in a, not, not the lowest gear, because that one, if you're bike riding, you're pedaling, and it seems like you're not even moving. So I got in a little higher gear and used my ample weight to stand up and push down on the pedals, and I wasn't going to stop, so we made it up there. And we went over the Golden Gate Bridge. By the way, it's not flat. It might look flat in the pictures, but that thing has got a hill in it, too. So we headed over there, and this ride is just like the Christian life. It's filled with hills and valleys. And it seems like it, in our, my life, at least, we get closer to the Lord when we're in the valley, when things aren't going exactly our way. And we really lean on him then. But when the, the valley hits with the crises, Dean was in the valley. Uh, Sherry and I were in the valley. She had, we had horrible head colds, which is going around. And then Sherry had shingles on top of that. What a, what a combo. Uh, and then we've heard about 
job problems, fear, stress from the world situation, anything. We all have different triggers. So remember that when we're all in the valley, that's what's great about the one call. We're all praying for each other, and that, that lifts us up. So when we go, when I went up that steep hill, barely one little thing at a time, I wanted to get up there. And it reminded me of uh, the verse in Exodus 23:30. It says, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. He, did, he just didn't put them in the promised land and this is all your land. It little by little and with the Lord, everything is little by little, one step at a time, at his pace and his speed, his timing, not ours. We want to get from point A to point B. We want to get through an experience. We don't want to go through these things forever, but that's not the way the Lord works. And we grow when we're in these valleys more than we grow when we're on the peaks, because it's tough. It grows our faith. And through this trial, it's not going to be, nobody in here is done with the trials. Whatever one you're in, he uses it to teach us how to handle the next one. It builds us up for the next one because there are always going to be trials. It's, I don't care if you're saved, not saved, or the Lord uses them to mature us. And when little by little reminds me of the verse in uh, Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And when you think about a lamp, it illuminates just right in front of you. It's not a searchlight where you can see to the finish a mile away. And that's the way he wants us to travel, rely on his word, just go one step at a time, he does, and think about it, if you're on a path, if you're hiking and you have it like a, those headlights or whatever, you want to stay in the illuminated area. If you go off to the side, very, very dangerous. It's like driving a car down uh, uh, unlit freeway, 680 is pretty right. But driving a car down a mountain road with no headlights, that would be, how would you like to do that? Very dangerous. So... He wants us little by little, slowly, using his word as his guide. So we make it over the Golden Gate Bridge, and then instantly, you know, I was happy that we made it, took that elevation out of the ride, but to my dismay, there was a path that went all the way down to the water again. It was a lot of fun, but I go, great, I know I'm going to be riding up a big hill again. And sure enough, we started... This, this was the toughest part of the ride, a long uphill uh, path towards Sausalito, and it was, it was some miles. Because of the length, it was the hardest part of the ride, and it was work. You can't stop on a bike. If you do, you're going to tip over. If you put down your leg, it, you don't want to do that either. And if you just let go, you're going to roll backwards. So... I kept going, stopping was not an option. And then my son-in-law, I think he's teaching now, Alan, he, was, we all were kind of struggling going up part of it, but he comes up 
he's on one of those electric bikes, and he comes up, and he goes, hey, Brad, let me help you. I go, no, no thank you, I'm gonna make it, no. I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna get pulled up the hill as he sailed on by. Uh, Jeff was by me one time, and he goes, oh, I think I'll read a book back here. <laughs> uh, so we want to keep going forward to the finish, to the prize, same as our Christian walk. No stopping, no going backwards. We want to keep going forward with our eye on the prize. If we backslide, that pulls, it ruins our testimony, it sets us back, uh, draws us to sin, and it pulls us down into the valley, and many times it causes losses and that we'll remember the rest of our lives when we have those experiences. And then we gotta step back, confess, repent, and return to the right path. Keep going forward to the goal. And in earnest, striving to reach that goal, we don't, uh, earnest means it's not like a walk on the beach, real casual. Earnest means you got a mission and you strive to get to that, uh, to get to that goal. In Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly word in Christ Jesus. There is a man who pressed on his entire ministry. He was always striving, all those setbacks, the shipwreck, the beating, the flogging, the incarcerations. He pressed on, and that was the perfect example. So finally, we made it up that steep hill, and this was the mountaintop experience. We're overlooking uh, Richardson Bay, Alcatraz, San Francisco. I remember reading about Alcatraz, those guys in there. They said the toughest part was looking at just San Francisco about a mile away, and they never could get there, and it was torturing them. We saw Angel Island and all the sailboats and the start of the... Uh, the Blue Angels overhead was going overhead at the time. And everything was running smoothly. It was a complete mountaintop experience. But right ahead of us, there always could be a valley when you're on that mountaintop. You think you're riding high, what could go wrong? Everything's good, everybody's working in the family, no health crises. But just like Elijah experienced, he had a mountaintop experience. He was on Mount Carmel by himself against 400 prophets of Baal. But the Lord was with Elijah. Elijah challenged the prophets. Okay, you call your God, there's a fire pit with rocks, stones, uh, the sacrifice filled with wood, they light it up. You challenge your God to put out this fire. <clears throat> And they all, all the prophets prayed and sang chants and pulled out knives and cut themselves, abused themselves. All day long, hours, nothing, nothing happened. They were calling to a God that didn't exist. Then Elijah saturated the fire pit three times. <clears throat> he called on the Lord, and the Lord set fire to the pit, the sacrifice, the stones, and the wood and everything was like disintegrated. And Elijah cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Still filled with the spirit <clears throat> in 1 Kings 18, 40, 
it says, then Elijah commanded them, <clears throat> seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kershon Valley and he slaughtered them there. What a victory through the Lord, a complete mountaintop experience. The prophets of Baal had the exact opposite experience. They were dispatched to the valley and destroyed. <clears throat> so Elijah's on this mountaintop, right? Nothing can go wrong. He's living the spiritual peak. But this is exactly where Satan likes to come in with discouragement and doubt to counteract the miracle God had done. This is where we're in danger. The valley is always right <clears throat> around the corner. You think about it, a mountain usually has valleys on the side, and this is what happened. We can never get complacent, and we have to be on guard. Satan was not happy with this event, so this is what he did. Jezebel, the evil woman, had heard what Elijah did by killing all of the Baal prophets. So Elijah was notified that Jezebel vowed to kill him and so did Elijah stand firm? No, he did not. He bailed and uh, he ran away in fear off the mountain to the plain and he camped out under a bush and prayed that he might die. From the mountaintop to the valley, just like that. And that can happen to us at any time. But we know the story, the Lord graciously uh, restored Elijah and he went on to serve him. Thank God that he will never leave us or forsake us. No matter what Elijah did or what we do, he's all, uh, as Rick said, he's always with us. <clears throat> In 1 Timothy 4.10, it says, This is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. There's that word again, strive, not a stroll. He used these three words twice, <clears throat> strive and press on. Both mean to do our serving in earnest with a purpose in mind, not anything casual about walking with the Lord. You know, the unsaved, <clears throat> they can't understand that. That's because we have this blessed hope of guaranteeing, of seeing him and spending eternity with him. The unsaved definitely strive. They are always striving because they can't get enough. They can get everything that money can buy, but it's never enough to give true happiness. Only the Lord can, can give that uh, peaceful feeling. They have no lasting results. They're just spinning their wheels. The world thinks we're foolish for living like that. They want to grab and do grab everything they can right now. But everything that they grab is fleeting. As Aphesap <clears throat> realizes in Psalm 73, you know, he was like writing as he was thinking out loud. He goes, you know, these people, they have not a care in the world. They're loaded. They have their health, their livelihood and uh, prosperous. He was even envious as he wrote that, that psalm until <clears throat> verse 17 of Psalm 73. 
until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. And isn't that the truth? The final destiny is the only thing that counts for us. It's not what we can accumulate here or anything we acquire here now. This is kind of a little saying. If you have everything without Jesus, you have nothing. And if you have Jesus without everything else, you have everything. Kind of a play on words. <clears throat> Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3, 19 and 20. He says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts that of the wise are futile. We saw this again in the last few weeks. It was major, major headlines. Speaking of craftiness and scheming and wisdom in the world's eyes. <coughs> this, <clears throat> this golden boy, Sam Bankman, he's a superstar in the financial world, supposedly. He ran a crypto exchange, I don't understand any of this crypto period, called FTC. He would take money, clients' money, and move it around, put it at risk. Well, he lost billions of dollars of the client's money. Even some of the top sports figures in our country were pushing it. One said, well, I don't know, I, have to, I don't have to worry about my money because FTC is managing it. Well, where did that get them? Even pension funds were in it. But anyway, <clears throat> the world is always going to have another scheme. We thought we might have been done with this after Bernie Madoff, but there's always a new one. So we have to be careful, of course, and follow the Lord and not the schemes of this world. So we're at the peak, and then we came down again into through Sausalito, through the rolling hills and valleys into Tiburon, where we had great fellowship and a super lunch. Gilbert brought a friend and joined us. It was just a great time. And we took the ferry back to the ferry building in San Francisco and rode to Ghirardelli Square, where we saw the Blue, Blue Angels right, right over our head. It was, it was beautiful. And the Lord was with us the whole time on the drive over there and on the ride through the hills and valleys. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> And on the packed streets of San Francisco, it was complete gridlock. <clears throat> and praise God, the Lord is with us. You had no accidents, no flat tires, no injury, and great fellowship. <clears throat> Our God is the God of the hills and the valleys. Amen. Psalms 24.1 said, <clears throat> The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. He's with us in the easiest tough not, and tough times. We should praise him like we do in the valleys, like the doctor was saying he shared today. We should praise him at all times, on the mountaintops as well as in the valleys. You know, we sing that song, uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And we have a personal relationship with him. We should have that thought all the time 
he is with us through thick and thin. We should be with him at all times and not just praising him like, oh, I'm desperate now. We have to praise him. He's not a fair-weather friend. We want to be a, a loyal friend to him just as he is a loyal friend to us. Some think he's only the God of the hills, not the God of all. And we could read about some of these fools in uh, 1 Kings 20. You can read the whole, whole story uh, later. The evil king Ben-Hadad, he created a massive force. He took his army and, and he lined himself, aligned himself up with 32 other kings. Can you imagine the size of that force? They put Samaria and King Ahab, Ahab in a siege. And he told Ahab, Your silver and your gold, wives and children are mine. Ahab, pretty meek response, he goes, As you said, my king, all that I have to your, is yours. He didn't put up a fight or an argument or anything. So the elders of Israel got wind of this. And he told Ahab, just agree to the silver and gold, but don't give them the, wife and, the wives and kids. So Ahab sent this message to Ben-Hadad. He told him the offer. These, this group was so overconfident, 32 kings, 33. All they were doing was uh, drinking in tents. So they were getting drunk, and, but they were infuriated. And Ben-Hadad replied in 1 Kings 20.10, he says, Benadad sent another message to Ahab. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria to give each of my men a handful. So in other words, he wanted just to level Ahab's whole territory. So Benadad got that word and he prepared his army to attack. But here the Lord intervenes. It happens like three times. Uh, in 1 Kings 20, this is an unknown prophet. We don't know what this prophet's name is. It said, 1 Kings 20, 13. Meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, this is what the Lord says, do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hand today, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ahab's army was 7,000, and this army surrounding him was about 100,000. The Lord intervened with a godly man, and he pointed out how vast the force the enemy has. And he loves that challenge, the Lord. To him, it's not a challenge. He did the same thing with Gideon. He picks a major force, and he goes in with a, a tiny force, and always the Lord is always victorious. And when he does that, he showed that there's no doubt that the victory came from the Lord. How's a, how's a heathen army of 7,000 going to beat another army of 100,000? Not going to happen. But with the Lord, everything is possible. So the prophet told Ahab, Ahab, you're going to start the battle, and you're only going to use <coughs> the junior officers, 233 of them, well, leading Ahab's small force. So the officers led their group into battle, and overwhelmingly, the enemy took heavy losses. 
and Ben-Hadad escaped on horseback. And going on to 1 Kings 20, 22 and 23, and this is where godly counsel is valuable. Ahab might have relaxed and just settled in, but here's where he said, don't get complacent, Ahab. The prophet came to the king of Israel and said, strengthen your position and see what must be done because next spring the kings will attack you again. Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, their God are gods of the hills, speaking of Ahab's God. That is why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely they will be stronger than they. <clears throat> Look at the contrast here. Ahab, the man of God, gave Ahab advice. The just officials in Ben-Hadad's army gave him advice. So who were who we getting our advice to? Godly counsel, the word of God, or just people out there? So that was it. It's always good to get advice from the word. <clears throat> so Ben-Hadad, again, foolishly, rebuilt his forces, just like the prophet said he was going to do. And he staged them on the plains, on the flat. I don't know what difference he thought that was going to make against the Lord. So it was, he just had them everywhere. And Ahab's, it, the word says they look like two small uh, things of goats, just two small little sections against this whole group of people. It said that Armenians covered the countryside. In 1 Kings 20, 28, the man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Armenians think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. Amen. Amen. So different terrain, right? From the mountaintop to the plain. But of course, the results were the same. Little is much when God is in it. That small force defeated Ben-Hadad again, and the Hadad's group and all the other kings had 100,000 people killed. Again, Ben-Hadad survived. Now, these hotshot advisors that had lost, they were over two. He told Ben-Hadad to ask Ahab for mercy. They donned sackcloths and put this stuff all over their face. And they went before Ahab again, which is his M.O. Ahab foolishly said, he is my brother, granted him mercy, and even made a treaty with him and released him. That was a big forbidden thing. You don't make a treaty with the enemy. And that sin would cost Ahab dearly later. The Lord displayed he's the king of the hills and the valleys, the God of the king and the valleys. And no man can pigeonhole, pigeonhole him into a certain area. He can't say, oh, your God can only do this or that. He can do all. So we're taught when we're on the hill or in the valley, keep going to the Lord. We don't want to go back uh, and lose ground and fall into sin. And it's the same thing that was told to Joshua 
in 170, speaking to his people, to the nation of Israel, be strong and courageous, be careful to obey all. My servant Moses gave you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Great advice. And I like uh, Taryn Wells is a popular Christian singer. In his song, it kind of sums it up. It says, on the mountains, I will bow my life to the one who sent me there. In the valley, I will lift up my eyes to one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain, I didn't get there on my own. When I'm walking through the valley, I know that I am not alone. You are the God of the hills and the valleys, and I am not alone. Amen. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this word that you put on my heart. We praise you, Lord, that you are God over all, the entire earth and, every, earth and everything on it and in it. We just pray now for the rest of the day. Pray for people that are sick. Pray for continued healing for Dean. Pray for Sylvia today and anyone else that is not uh, feeling well. In Jesus' name, amen.